Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of this, the Riddle World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, joined every midday episode by Ian Harditz. How Ian, you doing, what's Josh? up? I'm great. Thank you for asking. You know, last night, we got this surprise snow, this little covering of white powder this morning. It always makes me think back to like, I don't know how this is in Columbus, Ohio, but think back to like when you're in elementary, middle school and like waking up just like with the excitement of going and looking at the television local news ticker just to see if your school was one of the ones that was canceled for that day. Was that a thing in Ohio? The problem, I was from Dublin, which is a suburb of Columbus. And yeah. we were like known store for having like the best snow trucks and snow plows like of anywhere. So That is the worst thing to be known at oh, that's for. That's awful, man. That's awful. Same thing in college. So I went to school uh, in Chicago and like I remember... We only had one day off, and it was minus 52 at the wind chill. And it wasn't even because of that. It was, like, the first day of the quarter, so the planes were getting canceled. Yeah. Another The next day was minus 35 at the wind chill, and they said, hey, guys, try not to spend so much time outside because you can literally get frostbite, but, you know, classes are still on. My, I mean, we have lots of snow stories because, and especially if there was ice and wind, um, one time we had class canceled for a week. This was in middle school. And obviously, I have an older brother. Is this Connecticut? No, I lived in North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina. Oh, you you know this? You guys are soft down. We're not soft. There's just no way for them to take care of it. That's the <laughs> thing. Like, once it starts snowing here, plows come out immediately. Down there, you're just, you're screwed. True. Um, but we, we were at home in middle school. I was in, gosh, fifth grade? Sixth grade? And, you know, with my brother, who's just a year older, we would just fight and wrestle the entire time that my mom was probably just pulling her hair out the entire time. Um, but at that point you really get on each other's nerves and he was in my room and he was on my computer and I was like, Brian, get off my computer. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. And so I just shut it off. He got so mad at me that at the time I was playing the drums in like the middle school band and picked up a drumstick from about me to you and threw it as hard as he could right at my face. <laughs> and my tooth went through my lip. Oh, so like I could close my mouth and it was gushing blood. Close my mouth and like breathe through this thing. So then on the fifth day of ice and snow, we had to go to the emergency room, spend the entire day there. And I just had to get like 15 stitches, like five on the inside, 10 on the outside. That is easily the worst snow day. Oh, it's I've awful. Ever heard and then of. afterwards, uh, because we had been there all day, my mom took us to like a diner where they have like milkshakes and cheeseburgers and all this stuff. And I couldn't do anything. I had this towel that I was just drooling into the entire time. 
And while my mom and my brother are eating these like double bacon cheeseburgers with pimento cheese and like cookies <laughs> and cream milkshakes. And she just looks over at my brother and she says, it's okay, B, you didn't mean to. Well, I'm just drooling into this thing. Awful. You should have been more clear about him not touching your drum set like uh, Brennan. I mean, it's, it's incredible what brothers get away with and what I did not. All right. Uh, since this is a midweek episode, and I mean, we are almost to the end of the fantasy season. I don't know if we've ever discussed this, Ian. The fantasy season is never over. Well, the fantasy season's over. The NFL season isn't over until the Super Bowl. Hey, if people I know you get offended pe- by this. If people want to keep believing that the season ends in December, great. But, you know, if, if you're not putting in 12 months a year, you're never going to reach the top. All right. <laughs> if you say so. Uh, anyways, we're not going to really have time to re- review and recap the fantasy season once the playoffs get here because we'll be working hard on playoffs and offseason stuff. So we thought, kind of like last week, why not start reviewing that a little bit now? It makes sense. And you had the great idea of looking at ADP of where players were drafted at certain positions and guys that have drastically outperformed and underperformed those draft slots. So why don't we go like position by position, call those out. Um, and I think that's a fun exercise. Just try to figure out like if we could have seen this coming, why did it happen? What, what can we use for future fantasy seasons as well? And there's some other guys that didn't make this list that were either impacted by injuries or, you know, some guys like Daryl Henderson where they're more kind of like handcuff type options that were drafted, but they just never kind of had the injury happen to get their spot. So we try to just focus on guys who were healthy the whole season, got the opportunity we expected, and either balled out with it or just really sunk. We'll go with one bad, one good for each position. First up is quarterback. Baker Mayfield was drafted as the quarterback five. He is now ending the season around quarterback 19. You know, when I think back to the early season looks at Baker Mayfield, it was, man, he adds Odell Beckham. They finished the season great with Freddie Kitchens. Nick Chubb is obviously there in the backfield. David Njoku coming into, what, his third season. Jarvis Landry, even Rashard Higgins had some buzz. But the biggest question heading into the year was about this offensive line. Like, it wasn't a perfect situation, yet we kind of talked ourselves – into Baker being in a perfect situation, and it certainly hasn't happened this year. It wasn't a perfect situation, but we had seen him with that same offensive line pretty much be the QB 10 with Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, head coach. And like you said, added a guy who, you know, I still think is one of the better talents in the league, a wide receiver, if not the best, even though, you know, this season's kind of turned down to a different question, but had all the talent there, skill position. The question is, like, now that we know OBJ has been playing hurt, not 100%, David Njoku, what, got hurt in week two? No Kareem Hunt. It was a situation where he had so many weapons everywhere, and then kind of by week two or three, didn't really have the same weapons we thought. So I think uh, it was hard for us to anticipate either of those things coming to fruition, but we shouldn't put it all on Baker, I guess, at well, that point. Here's, I hear you, but there have been a number of times when his playmakers get open, when the play caller is good, yeah. when the offensive line has created a pocket for him, and then Baker Mayfield lets his offense down. Uh, only Mason Rudolph has a lower percentage of on-target passes than Baker this year. So This is on I Baker. Yes. In many ways, it is on Baker because we see a lot of players across the league in equal or especially worse situations outperforming Baker Mayfield. And I don't know if this is something where, you know, we get so excited about someone like Baker, right, just from – an aesthetic perspective because he's a smaller quarterback that is fun to watch and wants to throw down the field, but also the story of him going number one overall before a lot of people expected him to because he's been doubted his entire career, and obviously that fuels him. But I don't know if we should have really like latched on to all those things and taken him ahead of some of the more established big names because it kind of – it's like we got ahead of ourselves 
from someone that was going to be a breakout player when we already could have taken players who have already broken out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think we tend to be biased towards guys like Baker, Mahomes, these quarterbacks that are able to get outside the pocket sometimes and make these just ridiculous throws. I mean, every, every time you watch like a primetime game, you still see that next-gen stats like commercial where they show that 60-yard touchdown Baker threw last year that had yes. a you know, 10% chance of being completed or something wild like that. So there's guys like Breeze, Brady, made careers just thinking and ducking the ball down the field. That's most efficient, and that's probably the most sustainable type of way to play the quarterback position. So I, I think maybe, because we saw early in the season, how many times did Baker try to roll out to his right and the defensive ends just kept contained, and then he couldn't do anything and just had to throw the ball away. So I think the biggest difference has been Mayfield's just lack of uh, ability to kind of make plays outside the pocket off script and hasn't had fancy ceiling or really floor because of it. Took him until week 10 to throw more than two passing touchdowns, or at least two passing touchdowns in a single game this season. He's regressed in literally every statistical category. I mean, I, we're, what, we're gonna what do you think moving forward? Yeah, I was just about yeah. to ask you this, because we're going to have a lot of time during the playoffs, during the offseason, to really look and focus on all these situations. But I don't know what we have learned from this Browns group right now, especially if it stays the same. I'm not certain it does stay the same, because there are so many expectations, and they've missed the playoffs. So I think something has to change. Maybe Todd Munkin has a bigger role or Todd Munkin just exits and it's a Freddie Kitchens team. But then you have Odell Beckham and that drama, it seems like it's going to unfold. I have no idea. It's one that we will spend a lot of time on this offseason, but Baker will go back to what we really should have thought about him than what we really did. It'll be interesting to see if they try to keep Kareem Hunt because he has provided a major mm. boost to them. And we know uh, Dorsey wanted to trade for Trent Williams, but the Redskins you know, wouldn't give him up. So yeah, it should be a different team in 2020. The better quarterback, Dak Prescott, drafted as the quarterback 16, now close to the end of the season as the quarterback three. How I look at this, if we liked all the pieces, which we did, right? Ezekiel Elliott was a top five, top six pick. Amari Cooper was a top two or three round selection. I loved Michael Gallup heading into the season, especially in best ball situations, and he's greatly exceeded those expectations. If we liked all the pieces, including the offensive line, which was getting healthy, during the offseason. Travis Strider coming back, yeah. Why didn't we love Dak Prescott more than his quarterback 16 ADP at the start of the season? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I did like Dak as a fantasy late-round QB because, I mean, look, 2016, 2017, 2018, Dak, Russ Wilson, and Drew Brees were the only quarterbacks to be top 10 fantasy quarterbacks in all three of those seasons. So even in 2017 when, you know, Dez couldn't separate and we saw the worst version of the Cowboys offense to date, Dak was still a top 10 quarterback because the guy in the red zone specifically is such a good rusher and he gives you that floor. It's not Lamar Jackson or Kyler or even Josh Allen in terms of rushing yards, but they really use him as a weapon inside that red zone area. And I think he had five or six touchdowns, rushing touchdowns in each of those first three seasons. So like you said, getting Travis Frederick back, even getting Witten back, I think was big hmm. for them just because their biggest problem in 2018 was red zone scoring. I mean, they ranked towards the bottom of the league in that. So just having someone that we'd seen Dak have chemistry with, you know, inside the 10, 20 yard line, uh, again, was just a positive. But yeah, top five offensive line in the league, Zeke, Cooper. Dak was awful the first yeah, he was pretty awful passing the first seven games of uh, 2018. We saw how his splits turned around once he had Cooper. It was like yeah. the same thing in uh, 20, you know, 2017 was his only bad season, but with a good Dez in 2016, it was better. We should have seen this one coming. We really should have. Um, I mean, you look at it, and actually right now, and we still have three games left in the season, but his touchdown numbers passing-wise aren't that different from 2016, 2017, 2018. He's at 24 right now, which is already ahead of those but just by one or two again we still have three games left to go so that's a major difference but you look at how he started the season 
I mean, nine touchdowns in the first three games. This was an immediate hit. And I would even say it's kind of obviously regressed a little bit. So we'll see how the season ends. But do you only have positive things to say about Dak Prescott right now? And you only have positive things to say, and he should at least get the franchise tag. Obviously, he will in Dallas. But it's interesting that they didn't get ahead of this as well and try to give him a contract. They probably gave him an offer. But playing underneath Kellen Moore for this one season has really boosted his value across the board. I'd be shocked if they franchise him and don't try to get him signed. Mm. But, you know, we'll see. If they're still that far apart in the money, we will see. All right, let's go to running back. Starting with the bad, Sonny Michel. I'm actually surprised that he isn't further down on this list. He was drafted as running back 22. And then we're going to go half point PPR because I think that's a nice little spread. Because actually, in standard, Sonny Michel is the running back 25. Wow. <laughs> which is wild to think about. Yeah. Um, but in half point PPR, he's running back 34. I got excited about Sonny Michel this preseason. I talked myself into him. And a big part of that was because of how he finished the stretch run last year, namely the playoffs. 336 yards and six touchdowns in those three playoff games. In many ways, he was the foundation of the offense, like not going to say engine, but that's what they relied on to win the Super Bowl last year. And it wasn't just that. Like He had a couple 100-yard multi-touchdown performances during the regular season in 2018 as well. But heading into this year, there were some offensive line changes. Trip Brown moved on to the Oakland Raiders, paid like the top tackle in the league. David Andrews left at center, obviously, because of injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we all kind of figured that Dante Skarnecchia, because he basically is a Hall of Fame position coach, could fix this offensive line because he had done it in the past. But with so many of these running backs that kind of failed, a major part of it is their offensive line situation. And is that why we didn't dig into this enough here? Yeah, Isaiah Wynn was out early, too. I mean, it, it was definitely a red flag that we should have paid a little more attention to. Like the Browns, I mean, what's the easiest way how to sink any skill position player? Bad offensive line. So, yeah, we could have looked more in that. The biggest thing for me is just still trying to wrap my mind around how he's not a receiving back mm-hmm. in the NFL. Because, the, all right, in college, Sony Michelle, 64 catches, 621 yards, six touchdowns. Nick Chubb, 361 yards, four touchdowns. In the NFL, Sony has 17 catches for 125 yards. Chubb has 52 for 405 and two touchdowns. It's like they switch bodies, man. Like, we all watched Georgia and the, the Alabama game and some of those primetime games. Like, Sony was the explosive back that looked like he could be a receiver. Chubb seemed more like yep. the grinder inside the tackles guy. And it's just like they've switched roles in the NFL. So, I, I'm just shocked that they haven't been able to get more out of Sony as a receiver. And then, as you said, a rusher, yeah, he was ripping off 100-yard games like it was no one's business last year. His best game this season was 34 yards on 20 touches, and he fell into the end zone three times. He's not nearly as explosive. And you look at a lot of times uh, making people miss in one-on-one situations. He's among the last in the NFL at that. And I think a lot of that is, is the knee issue. This popped up prior to the draft. It popped up this offseason from OTAs, missing practices similar to Todd Gurley, but he just was back immediately. Um, but if we look at this entire Patriots offense, everyone but Julian Edelman has underperformed. You know, So it's not just Sonny Michelle here. It's Tom Brady. It's whatever secondary piece that they have at wide receiver. Obviously, none of the tight ends have done absolutely anything. So in some ways, it is on Sony on an individual level, but also a team offensive level. We just had... We thought no matter what, the Patriots would be able to figure it out offensively, and they just haven't, as we know. What do you make of uh, them drafting Damian Harris in the third round? Having an injury That's another. To, having an injury to Rex Burkhead and just not even trying him throughout the whole season. Yeah, that, that was a stunner because, you know, as soon as they drafted Harris, because Sonny Michelle had already missed some time, some of us thought, well, that kind of allows us to move on from Sonny Michelle. 
But then Damian Harris has, what, been active for one or two games? Yeah, and nothing. That's it, and nothing has happened. So who knows? I'm, I'm just amazed that a team like the Patriots and how they build their roster – it's been a first-round pick on a running back, then a third-round pick on the running back in back-to-back years. Bill's got a soft spot for SEC running backs, looks like. The better running back has been Austin Eckler, for sure. Uh, you know, it was an interesting training camp for this L.A. Chargers backfield because it was a Melvin Gordon saga that was somewhat, but not exactly the same to Le'Veon Bell. And that really should have made us believe more in Austin Eckler, who is being drafted as the running back 28 and half-point PPR right now is the running back five. We talked about this yesterday when we were coming up with this topic, that whenever we believe that a running back is going to miss two games, four games, eight games, we should immediately basically vault them up a round or two in their ADP. And it kind of happened here with Eckler, but it should have been even higher because you think back to a few years ago when D'Angelo Williams was the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Le'Veon Bell was suspended for four games. D'Angelo Williams basically won you three or four of those weeks to start the year. That is highly valuable in fantasy football when you only have, what, 13 weeks of the regular season. And so we should have drafted Eckler probably in the top 20. Especially because, you know, when you think about, okay, if we thought Eckler was going to finish as, like, the RB20, it's more valuable to have a running back that's going to finish as the RB20 that's going to legit work as an RB1 for half those games versus someone that's just a committee back and, you know, is going to finish in the 20s week in and week out. Like, you want that ceiling, especially in a situation like this where we know when the ceiling is going to be there with Gordon out. So, again, I think we should have seen this one coming because from 2017-2018, Eckler was top three among all backs in yards per rush, yards per target, yards per touch. He had three games before this without Melvin Gordon. He had 78%, 68%, 95% snap rates. The big thing that people hung their hat on was, oh, Eckler's too small. Justin Jackson's going to get the more featured role. Eckler's 5'9", 195. Jackson is six foot 199. Eckler literally has a higher BMI than Justin Jackson, but because he's short, everyone kind of pigeonhole- pigeonholed him as his scat back that couldn't run between the tackles. I don't know, man. Like, the worst-case scenario for him was a 50-50 split with Jackson, and we already knew Eckler was a much better receiver. So, I agree. When there's someone like that in, what, the eighth round, I think he probably was, like, at the highest, kind of at the peak of the Gordon hype, you had to get him. At, the, at worst, even if you thought Gordon was going to play, this is an awesome handcuff. At wide receiver, and I'll stick my hand up on this one, uh, Dante Pettis, drafted as the wide receiver 34, finishing right now the season wide receiver 116. Not a good year for Not Dante great. Pettis. Not great. Um, look, this is a one that I can attach my name to because I'll tell you why I believed in Dante Pettis. And I think that there were valid reasons to believe in Dante Pettis. He averaged over six targets a game and 71 yards in the final five contests of 2018. And he was also a player that they traded up for in the second round that they called a priority prospect for them and wanted to exit the draft with them. Now, so you have the positives ends of his rookie year, right? So many times when we talk about rookies, all we want are just those moments that we can hang our hat on and be like, yeah, in a full 100% role for an entire season, he can do this for an entire year. And I thought Pettis could do that because he looked good at the end of 2018. Okay, then the 49ers in the draft take Debo Samuel, then take Jalen Hurd. Then you have Kyle Shanahan throughout training camp just criticizing Dante Pettis, putting him basically in third-string situations. And I think I just ignored those. I mean, I honestly did just ignore those. Well, I wrote some of these down. So on August 11th, Shanahan goes, after playing him back end of a preseason game, I wanted Pettis to compete. We're trying to see who our starting receivers are. Later in the preseason, August 25th, Shanahan said he was looking for Pettis to earn a role. 
Then the 29, Shanahan said he's hardest on people he believes in. And then week one, Pettis plays two snaps the entire game. I mean, it's so hard to figure out coach speak sometimes. And this is yeah. one of those situations where, you know, in hindsight, we should have paid more attention to it. But I think it's hard because, you know, there's other situations throughout the league where I'm sure the coach speak had nothing. To, like, we you know, the whole Christian McCaffrey thing about them wanting to limit his touches. You know, we can, we can say, oh, Shanahan was giving us all the signs. But, you know, sometimes the signs are wrong. So it's And maybe we look at Kyle Shanahan in the future and know this about him, that he is honest in these situations. Or else you have someone like Pete Carroll who's eternally optimistic right, exactly. about everyone. <laughs> so it kind of is a case-by-case basis with these coach speaks. But this is also a situation where, like, we just – it's not common. We don't see this often where someone finishes the season so strong without the starting quarterback in place. So you think with a better quarterback, he can be even better that they traded up for and they obviously liked. But then like in a year, they've basically completely soured on him. He's in the doghouse. And I even think because people are going to say, well, there's not enough to go around this offense that, you know, even if they liked him, he wouldn't have been good. That's not true, because if they did like him, he would just be an Emmanuel Sanders role right now. And performing at a high level and being in the field, and he and Debo could both be putting up production. They just don't like him anymore. Like, he's not going to be in the roster next season, I believe. <laughs> well, we knew Kittle was the number one there, but Pettis, I think, would be most people's pick for number two wide receiver. Even though they drafted those guys, Hurd was hurt the entire season. Trent Taylor was hurt the entire season. Like, they had a good amount of wide receivers, but there were also enough injuries and enough unproven guys that yeah. all signs, I think, still point to Pettis. Well, and Debo coming out was like a yards after catch, kind of running backs – in a see more like a project yeah and, and he was like a and even early in the year he was a manufactured touch type player now he has completely evolved his game sure. as the season has gone along and what they talked about with Dante Pettis coming out of school because I'm a crazy person and go through all these post-draft press conferences <laughs> after the draft they talked about how he can line up in all three wide receiver spots and run routes and create separation at all three wide receiver spots to me that screamed hey he's going to be in the field in every single situation right. it just didn't work out uh, DJ Chark has completely outperformed his ADP. He was drafted as the wide receiver 80. <laughs> and now with just a few weeks left in the season, he's the wide receiver eight. Rewinding to August, all the talk was Nick Foles to D.D. Westbrook because Nick Foles threw a lot to Nelson Aguilar, threw a lot to his tight end and Zach Ertz while in Philadelphia. And D.D. Westbrook was obviously going to be the slot receiver there. But this entire plan for the Jacksonville Jaguars offense was turned on its head in week one when Garner Minshew was in- inserted for a injured Nick Foles. Even then, though, remember, Foles, hurt, when he broke his collarbone, it was on a, you know, one of his t- token teardrop deep balls to Chark for a touchdown. And then Chark had that explosive two-touchdown game a few weeks ago with Foles under center. I don't know that Westbrook would have worked ahead of Chark even if Foles had been healthy the whole season. Chark, as we've seen this year, is clearly the best wide receiver on this team. There was some training camp buzz with him. I think that's about What's all that? we had to go on. Just beat writers saying, you know, Chark looks like the best wide receiver out here. Yeah. They've said it about Nelson Aguilar over the years, too. So, again, it's more of a case-by-case basis. I don't blame people for not necessarily seeing it. But I would just say, you know, he was a second-round draft pick in 2018. He was more of a special teams player as a rookie. Didn't well, and let, as much. And let me tell yeah. you what Jacksonville Jaguar Brass said about DJ Chark when they drafted him. Basically, they said his role was going to be run as fast as he can in a straight line and be a great blocker in the run game. Wow. Like, that's what they drafted him to be because coming out of LSU, that was his game. I think it was impossible to see this coming from a big picture standpoint, especially when we point out that moving forward, I think it's pretty easy to say that DJ Chart can be a primary pass catching option of an NFL team. That's basically saying he's a wide receiver one. He has that potential, and he has that type of play. And I think if we get 
a better offensive line, Gardner Minshew for the entire season, DJ Shark, like he is right now, can finish as a top 12, top 15 wide receiver. Do you think we perhaps overestimated the fact that was how he was used at LSU and maybe that was not the... I think not we were surprised. I think we were surprised that he could do this. Well, this, this but I also happen. think the yeah. Jaguars were surprised he could do this. For sure. But we see this happen with Ohio State wide receivers over the years where, yeah. like Michael Thomas, you know, he fell because he didn't run deep routes because Ohio State never asked him to run deep routes. Right. Terry McLaurin only ran deep routes, and they had three other receivers they were going to. I just feel like now it's a little different with Joey Burrow and the things they're doing at LSU. But in these past years, those LSU offenses were just so kind of ridiculous and different that I think – when you got a player that's that talented, mm-hmm. you got to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. And when mm-hmm. he was that cheap and an uncertain offense, at the very least, he had to be on top of your uh, waiver list after that week After one. week one. But week one was loaded with those types of wide receivers. It was difficult to pick Penn, from them. McLaurin, John Ross. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I would take John Ross in some situations. I was taking McLaurin in some situations, Chark in other situations. So, like, if he was the only blow-up wide receiver that wasn't drafted that week one, I think – we would be more confident and and have him on more teams right now. But because it was loaded that week one, I mean, it was difficult to choose which one was going to have a blowout spot the rest of the year. Should we move on to tight end? Yeah, real quick. Here's to hoping in 2020 we get Chark, Westbrook, and Justin Blackman at three wide receiver sets. Well, Justin Blackman's (laughs) not playing football ever again. That's the wildest name we're going to hear on this podcast. All right. O.J. Howard, um, drafted as a tight end five. Half point PPR right now is a tight end 35. You know, I, I remember back to the storyline of Bruce Arians never using tight ends in Arizona. And that, that was true. Um, the counter to that, the common counter, was that, well, he didn't have a tight end as talented as O.J. Howard, who they took with a top 20 selection. That's what I said. <laughs> and look what happened. He did not know how to use O.J. Howard. Um, and he still doesn't know how to use O.J. Howard. I mean, right now, maybe in the final three weeks of the season, because he, he, he is talented, he might be able to perform, but... What do you make of this situation? Is is it one that after the first three tight ends, which were established, it was kind of jumbled? But if you hit on one of those four, five, six, seven tight ends like we're going to get to in a minute, then it turned around the position for you, but then the other ones have just been kind of a wasteland. I mean, the thing we were assuming, too, though, is that you know they lost Humphreys, who Loki had a ton of targets in that offense. And Howard last year, he was already the PPR tight end six before he had that injury. I mean, he was producing. He's the only receiver on the Buccaneers since they drafted Jameis that's averaged double-digit yards per target. As long as he gets the targets, he's still performed well. That's still been true this year. It's just he can't get the freaking targets. Um, can he still save the season with Evans out? Because, no. hold on, hold on. Evans is out. So you're telling me Justin Watson and Brashad Perryman are going to be these number two pass game options? I don't know what to think with this tight end situation anymore. There, he could salvage this. There's this chance. I know we've been But he's not going to get up to a top 12 wide receiver or t- tight end. No, but if he can ball out in these two weeks, man, we will see. I'm just saying he's got the Lions and the Texans. If they treat him as their number two pass game option, we know what he can do at eight targets in the game. He just hasn't gotten it. There was a lot of optimism about this Bucks offense heading into the year. You know, we all want to draft Mike Evans. We all want to draft Chris Godwin. Some people want to draft Jameis Winston because of that. Was there ever, though, going to be enough opportunity for That's Evans and Godwin and O.J. Howard? That was the red flag that I think a lot of us, including myself, overlooked a little bit. With that said, the Buccaneers are number three in points per game this year. They're number 31 in points per game allowed. So I think if everything had worked out and they really went out of their way to feature Howard, maybe they could have supported all three of them. They haven't. So... Oh, well. Darren Waller has been an absolute baller. Uh, he was drafted as the tight end 27, and right now heading into week 15, he is a tight end three. There was a ton of buzz this offseason. We, 
should have seen this coming in some ways, probably not all the way up to tight end three, but he was a former wide receiver who has bounced around a ton, but was getting his opportunities, was listed as the tight end one during training camp, did come down with an injury and miss some extended time, but he shouldn't have been drafted as a tight end 27. Like, he should have been at least around the tight end 15, tight end 17 mark. And this is like Chark, where even I, I don't necessarily blame someone if they didn't draft him, but if you didn't pick him up after week one, like, that's your mistake because the big debate after week one was Waller versus Hawkinson. And Hawkinson had Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola, and Matthew Stafford, who we saw what happened with Eric Ebron for years when he had an athletic tight end. Waller had Tyro Williams. That was it. And we literally just saw Derek Carr help Jared Kirk become the tight end five in 2018. So... I think there were signs all over the place, at the very least, after week one. I agree with you. If you're going to take a late-round tight end, make it an athletic receiving type on a barren uh, depth chart. Let's move on to previewing Thursday Night Football. You want to do that? Let's do it. All right. This is how we're going to end the podcast. We're going to do the New York Jets versus the Baltimore Ravens. 45 total in this one. Ravens, 14.5-point home favorites here. (laughs) Should be a blowout. But look, there are some news and notes to start this conversation because you have Lamar Jackson who is limited all week with the quad injury. You have Mark Andrews who's also dealing with an injury. He was forced out of last week's game after nine snaps. Now both are obviously going to play this week, but that might cause a little bit of concern for fantasy players who are entering their semifinals in their fantasy season. Yeah, I expect them to lean on the run game as much as possible. And look, the Jets, they have been much better against the run. They're number two in DVOA against the run, number 22 against the pass. I could not care less about the Jets' defense. I don't care about any defense facing this Ravens' run game. They are unbelievable. I mean, Harbaugh, the entire offseason, was talking about how they're going to revolutionize the, you know, the way offense is played right now. And he's been right, man. Only the 97 Lions with Barry Sanders and the 06 Falcons with Mike Vick and Wark done have averaged more yards per carry as a team than this group of Ravens. I mean, they are absolutely ridiculous. And a lot of it's scheme, a lot of it's... Great offensive line, a lot of it's Lamar Jackson. Lamar, Gus Edwards, and Mark Ingram are top 16 backs in yards created before contact. I mean, we, these are all talented guys. You know, definitely Lamar and Mark over Gus. But all talented guys, you know, when they are taking on the defender. And the scheme and everything is helping them. It is. Just even before they have to worry about relying on their natural talent. So yards created before contact is a big emphasis on the offensive line. They might not have Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle, in this game. Now, obviously, the Jets don't really have edge rushers, so it might not matter in the passing game. But, you know, Lamar last week had the fewest rushing yards in a game since week one of the season. Um, I wonder if, I I mean, I'm never going to bench Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to say that this is, you know, a spot where we might should be nervous about the Ravens. But look, other than Lamar here and other than Mark Ingram, it's interesting because you think of an offense that we believe in each and every week. There's no one really that we can play with confidence each and every week. Not with confidence. Which is wild to say with how confident we are in this offense. Because, look, Marquise Brown has like four catches for negative one yards over the last two weeks. Is this not the best get-right spot imaginable? It is. After everything we just said? It is. But even Mark Andrews, like he's getting end zone targets at like the highest rate in the NFL or close to it. Yet he's not getting volume. Willie Sneed has had like three touchdowns in the last three games, but he has like 16 yards besides that. Andrews is consistent. It's more the injury this week that's a little bit problematic. But isn't this weird? Like it's (laughs) it's an oddly formed offense. We love it, yet there are no real pieces that we love in it other than the quarterback and and, and Mark Ingram. We knew after last season and – 
the Flacco to Jackson, what that did to the uh, fantasy value of all the wide receivers, that it would be an issue having multiple uh, consistent fantasy relevant wide receivers. You know, Lamar, obviously clearly number one quarterback. Mark Ingram, I think, is the RB9 on the season. I mean, he's been really consistent too. So I hear you. It is weird to have Very this weird. in the you know, number one scoring offense. But I think Andrews and Hollywood, he should get right here. Look, they've scored season, season low points back-to-back weeks, 24 and 20, versus the 49ers and Bills. I mean, that was a tough stretch, and they came through it with two wins. So kudos to them. But, man, I think they just torch the Jets through the air this right. week. Well, there's a lot to talk about on the Jets side, if you don't mind. I mean, they are 5-8. and eight. Not sure how much time we should spend on it. But, look, look, Jamal Adams missed last week with an injury. Might not play in this game. He also might be traded this offseason. Yeah. Le'Veon Bell... Missed last week because of an illness. Might not play in this game. Might be traded He's this offseason. He's probably going to play. Might be traded this offseason as well. Um, those are two big names that you look at this Jets team overall with Adam Gase at the helm. The simple question is, who has Adam Gase improved on this team? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> That's not good. No. That's not a coach you should hang on to heading into the 2020 season. I mean, what is, who has he ever improved other than when Peyton Manning held his hand and got him to, you know, I mean, come on. What's the one defining characteristic about Peyton Manning? How much he audibles at the line of scrimmage? So did Gase have anything to do with that? I mean, in Miami, it seemed like he would run his best players out of town after five weeks or so. And then, you know, right. there's always a different running back in featured. I, I can't think of anything. Like, across the league with bad teams, there are positives you can take from basically every single one, maybe other than the Bengals. Um, but like with the Washington Redskins, you can take Terry McLaurin's season from there. The Detroit Lions, you can take Kenny Galladay and even carry on before he got injured from there. With the Jets, there are no positives to take from this year. Defensively, offensively, offensive line-wise. I mean, you look at how much they paid Le'Veon Bell. He faced a stretch of six games against awful defenses. Jacksonville Jaguars, Miami Dolphins, New York Giants, Washington Redskins, Oakland Raiders, Cincinnati Bengals. He averaged basically three yards a carry. The line is awful. Awful. Terrible. And then, obviously, Sam Darnold missed that time because of mono. But even when he come, comes back, like, he's had a couple games of nice throws that when you go back and review the game on Game Pass, you're like, these are cool. These are good. These are positives you can build on. But every single one of them are from clean pockets. Yeah. And not to open receivers, but the receivers are making plays on those balls as well. Okay. He's not getting clean pockets right now. And he might not get clean pockets for quite a bit of time after the season. It's, it's, it's an issue. They're yeah, in a bad situation. It is an issue. And I, you know, the one thing we could take away from everything Adam Gase has done over the years is that he always features slot receiver above everyone else. And we thought we were going to see that here after Crowder had that 14-catch, 99-yard week one game. But he's turned Jamison Crowder into this boomer bust like slot receiver. And, you know, Robbie Anderson is doing his now annual, I guess, December parade where he – no one starts them because they know the... This time minus Bryce Petty. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been so frustrating because, you know, and Chris Herndon, that whole debacle. Yeah. I mean, no one on this offense no has consistent, been a consistent fantasy. Offense. No consistent play from Crowder. Even Quinnen Williams on defense, who is a top five selection, hasn't shown up often enough. I mean, your identity on defense now is a trade piece that's going to be a conversation throughout Super Bowl week. I don't know how this team can stay the same in 2020, but I also don't think the Jets make a move. I don't think they make a change. Why trade Jamal Adams? He is the only thing. I'm not saying they're going to, but it's going to be a conversation all year long. And there's reports right now that they will. I'm just, I just don't know why. Like he is the one guy consistently that seems like on social media that's staying positive that the fans 
love. He's the only fun guy to watch on the field. I, mean, I agree. The things he's done as a pass rusher and coverage. He is so fun to watch, and that's the only thing, and they want to get rid of him. So. And I did say there weren't any positives. I would actually say his play near the line of scrimmage and how they used him to blitz off the edge Six of Greg Williams. That's been fun, but then that's compounded and canceled out by them possibly trading him. So I don't really count that. Yeah. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us. If you want more of the game previews later this week, we'll be back with John Daigle, Hayden Winks, and Roto Pat on the Friday episode of this podcast. Ian, good job. That was fun. A little different. Good job by you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Everyone out there, have a good time. Enjoy your life. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.